Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, September 24th. Folks, that 2020 French Open so close that we can almost taste it. We are now less than five days away from the kickoff of the year's third and final Grand Slam event. Of course, we've got a little bit of business to attend to before we get there. The action in Hamburg and Strasbourg carrying on this week. We've also got some fun challenger ITF events scattered throughout the globe. Want to talk about those results today. Also want to talk about some of the storylines we are seeing emerge and how those storylines may impact the French Open. We are all getting ready to enjoy the reason I'm able to do that day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Going to keep things brief today. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 and I promise you, you are going to find everything you need from an equipment standpoint. Shoes, strings, rackets. They've got it all. Their staff can help you out as well. You'll get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, that free can of extra-duty Wilson tennis balls. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15, of course, to get yourself a case of the only tennis-specific energy bars in the business. Go to Aerobar.com. Use our promo code CRACK15. You'll get 15% off your order. Let them know we sent you there. Of course, you can also listen to our weekly podcast, Getting to the Point, where we focus on the importance of nutrition and fitness in the modern game. You can find this week's episode on the Cracked Interviews feed. We brought on Thomas Blake, older brother of James Blake, of course, former pro tennis player himself, a professional tennis coach as well. A really enjoyable conversation. I know all of you listeners will uh, enjoy hearing, certainly. And, you know, just to keep things in mind, of course, we know the French Open is coming. So our preview content, rocking and rolling here at Cracked Rackets. GSPs through the start of the tournament. Thus far, we've had Steve Weissman on to talk about some of the biggest storylines heading into the event today. We had Coach Brett Macy, head coach for the USC Men's Tennis Trojans. Uh, we, he came on to talk about the top men's contenders. We have more fun guests coming uh, throughout the weekend. And of course, we know the draws going to be revealed today on Thursday. Jamie McDonald will be joining me, not just for a podcast, but for a YouTube video as well. We'll break down the draws, name our favorite first round matches, talk about the unseeded players we see looming, the seeded players who could face an early exit. And then, of course, we'll give some predictions along the way so all of you Cracked Rackets fans can be on the lookout for all of that content as well. You can find it all by going to our website, CrackedRackets.com. Now, with that in mind, again, just kind of want to recap Wednesday's matches, talk about a couple of storylines we've seen emerge in the professional tennis world. Let's start, as we have all week, with our friends over in Strasbourg, the WTA Tour event carrying on there. We had four really good matches on Wednesday, all producing some really fun tennis. Let's start with the three-setter that caught my eye the closest, Arena Sabalenka, the number four seed, who looked really good at the start of this 2020 season. I believe she won herself either if Simona Halep won Doha, uh, Sabalenka won Dubai. If not, it was the other way around. But, you know, she had started to work herself back towards the top 10 of the rankings. She's a player who we've seen put together three, four-week stretches of outstanding tennis. But we haven't seen her, you know, rip off that six-week stretch. We haven't seen her rip off just a dominant two weeks at a major. And, of course, for Sabalenka at the U.S. Open, tough second-round match for her against eventual finalist Victoria Azarenka. But for 
for Sabalenka, she got all she could handle and then more in Anna Blinkova, who has been playing so well of late. Sabalenka, a 1-6-6-4-6-2 victory in the end. And, you know, this was just a fun display of power tennis. In that first set, I swear to God, Blinkova did not miss a down-the-line shot. She was taking every ball early. She was taking returns early, capturing control of the point. In that first set, Sabalenka, 3 of 13 on second serve points. She only made 14 first serves in the entire set, so that's why she got broken three times. It's why Blinkova didn't get broken, and Blinkova was just good at protecting her serve, at dictating the terms of each and every point. That's how she raced out to that lead, but what I loved for Sabalenka, the way she just adjusted in sets two and three. A, her first serve percentage got so much better. She's at 69% in set number two, 60% in set three. She's protecting that serve the duration of the match. She wins over 60% of those first serve points in set two, over 86% of them, 13 of 15 on first serve points in set three between the two uh, sets. She only faced two break points. She was broken once, but she was able to start doing more damage on the blink of a serve. And what I love that she started to do with her returns, because in that first set, Sabalenka was trying to out hit blink of a from the outer third. She was willing to open up the court and then she just thought, okay, I can beat you cross court and open up the down the line for myself. But it was blink of a who was pulling the trigger earlier. It was blink of a who was the one taking the ball early, going down the line, being the one Uh, being the aggressor, and Sabalenka changed up her tactics. She started playing deeper, or she started getting more depth, I should say, with her return. She started playing down the center. Now, that didn't mean she didn't open up the down the lines for herself. That didn't mean she wasn't moving forward. She really was, but she just wasn't as, you know, recklessly trying to open up the court because Blinkova was playing a really high level of tennis, and Sabalenka started, you know, kind of buckled down, started playing for ball six, ball seven, instead of trying to go after a heavy ball in ball two, three, four of the rally. And Sabalenka just played a really smart high percentage match. You know, overall, she ends up 60% of her first serves. She goes 33 of 47 on those points, 70% conversion rate. You know, 13 of 31 on the second serves, not great. It helps when you hold your opponent to 16 of 36. But what I love about Sabalenka, it's so difficult to hold serve on a clay court, and we know we hear it all the time, the most important shots in the women's game, the serve and the return, and, you know, Sabalenka's just, she's got exceptional pop on both of them. She's one of those few players that can take control just as easily with her serve as she can with her return, and, you know, she's got a really tricky matchup today against Sinyakova. I believe she lost that first set. Sinyakova playing really, really well, and she looked great in her 6-2, 6-4 win yesterday over Katerina Alexandrova. I would love for Sabalenka to come back, bounce back tomorrow. I know that was a rain delay match. Win that match over Sinyakova and then she loses the semifinals, so be it. Um, But I just think Sabalenka, again, I always, even on clay, her athleticism, her power, it just translates. She's one of those people who doesn't matter how your opponent's playing. If she plays her best tennis, she can beat any player in the game, and that's just always something I will keep in mind, and she's one of those players who has demonstrated that before, right? It's, It's still a little bit raw, untapped, unrefined power, but it's becoming more and more refined, and I thought this was a really good bounce back performance for Blinkova. 
166462 uh, again to advance. And now she'll face Sinyakova in uh, the quarterfinals. Sinyakova just looked so good over Ekaterina Alexandrova in this match, was able to move around the court so comfortably, kept extending rallies by hitting the slice forehands that would just catch Alexandrova in uncomfortable positions. And, you know, I think this Sinyakova serve sits up a little bit, and there were times when Alexandrova punished it, but there were also a ton of times where it drew errors, or Sinyakova just so crafty, able to, you know, Alexandrova thinks she opened up the court for herself, but Sinyakova able to anticipate so well, take that ball early, respond, take control of the point. You know, she just played a really high percentage match, made 72% of her first serves, won 65% of those points, 67% of her second serve points. Just, it was all working for Sinyakova in this one, and on my GSP ace of the day today, why I took Sabalenka, I just thought it wasn't going to get any better for Sinyakova. She played such a clean match against Alexandrova, and I just thought for every forehand slice she hits against Sabalenka, Sabalenka would be able to punish it a little bit more against Alexandrova, but that's just not the case. Sinyakova gets you in uncomfortable positions. She's sneaky quick. She can has sneaky power. Really effective player, a dangerous loomer wherever she lands in the draw, and of course, again, I know those draws will be out by the time you listen to this podcast. Rest assured, we will have entire podcasts dedicated to offering our thoughts on those draws, but today, offering my thoughts on Strasbourg, and obviously, I am thinking quite fondly of Sinyakova. Really good win for her. Two more results on the day. Ostapenko stays alive, survives. 2-6-6-4-4-2 retirement from number three seed Kiki Burton's. Burton's clearly still struggling. Not struggling, that's the not, not the right word, but she's still searching to find her legs, find her form heading into this French Open. Again, a five-and-a-half, six-month layoff. Wouldn't ask anyone to come back and have to be thrown into a Grand Slam, but that's what we're asking of all of these players. And so obviously we know what Kiki Burtons is capable of on a clay court. The question is, can she find that level, particularly given how many dangerous players there are right now in the women's game? You know, you could play someone who's ranked 50 in the world in the second round or even the first round of the French Open if you're Kiki Burtons. And that player could just be performing at a better level than you right now. So I think that's going to be a really interesting uh, player to watch moving forward for Ostapenko, former French Open champion. If she's right, we all know what she's capable of. A really good win for her to advance again, get some confidence heading into the French Open. And then now Habino just continues to rock and roll. Really good win for her, five and three over Diaz. She got a three set win over Sloane Stevens in her first match, I believe. She already played. We'll talk. Or she plays Ostapenko today. I think that match might have already happened, but I haven't seen the highlights yet, so I don't want to speak about it. Nevertheless, really good result for her. Uh, She continues to play better and better tennis as well. That was the action in Strasbourg, in Hamburg. Again, it was a pretty simple day. I think we only had six matches overall, and it's the back half of the week, right? A lot of these players gearing up for the French Open, but we had some notable results. Let's start with the biggest upset on the day. Sasha Bublik, 6-4-6-2 over Felix Auger-Aliassim for Bublik. I mean, the guy just... When the serve is on, when the variety is working, when he's engaged in a match, the talent, I've said it before, he's Nick Kyrgios with bad press. I mean, just the serve is overwhelming. He only made 56% of them, but he's 22 of 29 on those points. He's the sort of guy who will go for a big flat second serve and risk the double fault anyways. Now, today he didn't hit any double faults, but he was still 14 of 23 on his second serve. He had an underhand ace serve against FAA, who was justifiably six feet behind the baseline. 
baseline trying to get a clean look at the normal Bublik serve. Uh, it really was an effective change of pace the way he used it today. Uh, but, I mean, look, for Bublik, he passed well. He moves really well for someone his size, 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. The shot selection's maddening, and, you know, you can't count on him on a match-by-match basis, but every th- so often he'll throw in a gem like this, and it was clear how engaged he was from the start, just so focused. There were no lapses in confidence in in concentration, excuse me. And FA just didn't play the best match. Only made 57% of his serves. Now was over 50% on both of those points. But, you know, he was 4 of 8 on breakpoint chances saved for Bublik. Bublik saved 5 of the 6 he faced. It's just, you know, with his serve, he was just a little bit better today. And so, ultimately, it was Sasha Bublik getting over the hump. Now, am I concerned for FAA? No, I'm really not. I I think it's his first main draw French Open at the ATP level this year. And it's going to be interesting to see not only is this at his first French Open, he seeded. That, of course, is hilarious, but um, I, I just think his game does translate well to clay. I think he's a comfortable mover. I just think it was one of those days for Bublik, and he's one of those players who can have those sorts of days. So, really good result for him. Uh, a fun match. Andre Rublev took on Tommy Paul. That was two former Junior French Open champion. Andre Rublev on this occasion, a 6-1-3-6-6-2 victory over Tommy Paul. It was a battle. I mean, Tommy Paul... He rises his level to the level of his opponent. He's capable of playing like a top 10 player, if that's what the occasion calls for. He's capable of playing like a top, you know, an outside the top 100 player at times as well. But in this match, he had it. And he had the athleticism to hang with Rublev, go shot for shot with him, change direction and absorb his pace and redirect it and throw different looks at Rublev. But there are also times when the Tommy Ball, uh, Paul ball sits up a little bit. And look, Rublev right now is locked in focused as any player. He's the sort of guy who I really think could win this event, uh, you know, play the final on whenever, Saturday, Sunday, then head into Monday. And even if it was a Monday match or a Tuesday match, I'm not worried about his legs. I'm not worried about his fatigue. This guy is locked in on tennis all of the time. And this was just another really good win for him in three sets. Uh, Another really good win for Roberto Bautista, who knocks off an obviously in-form Dominic Kopfer, Kopfer coming off of that quarterfinal in Rome. Uh, But, you know, going into this match, I sat on the GSP ace of the day. Kofor was going to challenge RBA, but I just didn't think he had a weapon to really, you know, overwhelm RBA with. I know he's a lefty. He's going to move the ball around really well on the court. He's going to take balls down the line. He's confident moving forward. But everything you can say about Dominic Kofor, you can say about the righty version of Roberto Bautista Agut. And it made for really good tennis. This was an either-or match. But ultimately, Bautista Agut, just a little too good, very solid, very good confidence-building win for him. I mean, this was a top 50 level match. Dominic Kofor's playing that well right now, maybe even uh, better than that. And, you know, for Kofor, now you get a little bit of rest before the French Open, but he has nothing but to feel but confidence heading into that event. For Roberto Bautista Goop, now the momentum train is rocking and rolling. That's a really good win for him. And I know today, I believe he gets another good match in his quarterfinal as he takes on, or excuse me, I think, was that today? Is that going to be tomorrow? That's a good question. I think it's tomorrow that he takes on Andre Rublev in the quarterfinals. But look, that's going to be a really fun match. Yeah, it is tomorrow. Wow, it's a Sunday final for Hamburg, which means the play for the French Open must start on Monday, uh, which is just interesting to keep in mind that players are willing to make that fast of a transition. Something, I mean, I suppose it's the circumstances we're all currently living in, but uh, you know that's going to be a really fun one. Rublev, RBA, that could be a battle we see. I don't know where they're going to fall in the draw, but it could be a battle you see third, fourth round of a 
French Open. It would be one I think all of us tennis fans would be really excited for. Uh, so we get a sneak peek of that tomorrow. Great win again for Roberto Bautista Agut to advance over Dominic Kopfer. Some of the other results, just quickly, Christian Guerin, we said again, if he's going to do what we wanted him to do, what we think he's capable of doing at the French Open, A, he had to win his first round match against Nishikori, he did that. B, he had to beat an inform Yana Kahneman, a Yana Kahneman who made that final in Kitzbühel, who won a challenger at the end of August, and Christian Guerin did that as well. Two and six, really good win for Guerin. Uh, I'm starting to feel confident. Again, that loss to George, four and four in, in Rome, I watched that match. Guerin started off the match so poorly, but you could see him starting to raise his level throughout it. It just was at a point where the deficit was too big, and a couple of things just kept falling apart for him, but All of the pieces were there for him to put together the sort of run on clay that he did at the start of this season. You know, his ability to change direction, his comfort moving on the surface, his ability to hit an overwhelmingly heavy forehand that creates opportunities for himself. He's got it all. And so that was a really good win for him. 6-2-7-6 over Yannick Honefman. You know, Kasper another guy who falls into that Garen category. 6-4-2-0. Good to see him bounce back after a semifinal in Rome physically to knock off Benoit Pair, who we'll talk about in a second in a little bit more length. Um, actually, let's do that. Well, no, we'll talk about that after. Tsitsipas, 6-3-6-1 over Dan Evans. Much needed win. Dan Evans, sneaky good mover on clay, uh, but just Tsitsipas overwhelmed him with his level today. That was a really good win for him moving forward. And again, now we get some fun quarterfinal matches on Thursday. And given the players that are still alive here in the draw, given that we still have got guys like, you know, the Andre Rublevs, the Stefano Tsitsipas, the Roberto Bautista, Goots, Christian Garens, Casper Rudes. These are a lot of young players that we could see make noise at the French Open. So take notice of Hamburg this weekend, folks, as you are beginning to fill out your draws. And hopefully you're filling out those draws with us on Turnitopia. You're competing alongside of us. But, you know, again, those were the results through Hamburg. French Open qualies rocking and rolling through yesterday as well. Just to quickly touch on those. Uh, again, in terms of the upsets, more men's upsets than women's yesterday. We saw Taro Daniel. Go Seida, Ivo Karlovic, Oscar Ota, and Pranaj Gunaswaran all knocked out. Now, on the day, Americans go 4-1 and one overall wins from Corda, American men, excuse me, wins from Corda, Mo, Blanche, and U, uh, and Sock. Now, the one loser on the day, unfortunately, Chris Eubanks, who loses a tough one. Uh, but, in terms of the college players, 3-3 three and three wins from Vukic, Emilio Gomez, Jason Jung, losses from Yannick Maiden, Braden Schnorr, and Chris Eubanks. Tough day for the the ACC. Good day for the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Nevertheless, those were the notable men's results on the women's side. Only one seed knocked off at all. Uh, it was Gullibic, the number seven seed. In terms of the Americans, Lepchenko, McNally advancing. Ali Kick, uh, Asia Muhammad both falling short in their matches, but qualifying keeps rocking and rolling. And to be honest, today's matches were toss-ups. I mentioned it on GSP Ace of the Day. There are a lot of men's matches that could go either way, and looking at the results now, that's a lot of what we saw today. Thus far, I believe we've had just a bunch of three-set matches so far. Let's see. Of the seven matches they played, they had one, two, three three-set matches. The other one, a seven-six-six-four decision. So nothing straightforward today. Uh, a lot of fun action on the men's and women's side in qualifying. So much good tennis in the build-up to, uh, obviously, this, uh, this, what am I thinking of here? This, um, what's the word I'm looking for? This French Open. Duh. Hey, great shot to me. Uh, 
uh, so hopefully you all are following along. You know, there's Challenger Tennis as well. There's the action in Italy. There's the action in Romania. Uh, you've got Lorenzo Musetti still alive. You've got just, again, so many outstanding players. You can find all that action on Livestream.com backslash ATP. I do apologize if it feels like I'm rushing today. Uh, I do have another podcast to record in about 10 minutes, so just wanted to give you all an update of where we're at. There were some good matches, of course, if you want to hear my picks for tomorrow's matches, be sure to tune in to our GSP Ace of the Day every morning as we try and set the scene for you all with our friends over at DraftKings. Just two other things I think worth mentioning quickly. Uh, The French government announced new restrictions reducing public gatherings from 5,000 to 1,000 people starting Saturday in Paris. You know, this news, by the way, coming from Christopher Clary. These new restrictions are causing some serious headaches to French Open organizers who plan to have more than 1,000 accredited people on site daily. That is not even counting spectators who may not be allowed at all at this stage. And look, we talked about this a little bit with Steve Weissman on the Great Shot podcast I did with him, where I'm sure I'm going to talk about it again with other guests moving forward. But as of now, the French Open plans to have fans. And originally that was, I think it was 5,000 on Chatrier, 1,000 elsewhere on the grounds. That now has been taken back to just 1,000 on Chatrier. But again, with all the staffs, with all the players, the coaches, the trainers, the vendors, the producers, the sound equipment people, the media on site, I don't know how they, it's right there, a thousand accredited people on site daily, more than that. And that's what organizers are planning for without fans. It just seems to me that it's going to be more and more likely that we're not going to see fans at this event. And obviously that's disappointing uh, as a fan of tennis. We all miss that environment. But if that's what it takes to conduct this event safely, and after all the time, it does seem like the U.S. Open uh, seemed to have been conducted fairly safely. I mean, uh, there was a positive test here and there, but no sort of, you know, again, they seem to be able to hold the event without putting at risk this large population. Uh, I don't know if you can do that if you allow over a thousand fans. I don't know if you can do that if you allow any fans. I don't know if you can do that even if you don't allow fans, but adding the risk of, you know, over a thousand or a thousand other people, it just, I, I, I can't speak to the French Open's pocketbooks, but I know they make plenty of revenue on the TV deals. And, you know, the French Tennis Federation, what happens at the French Open pays for so many things, not just for the French Tennis Federation, actually, but throughout the tennis world. And yet, It just feels like by opening up the tournament for fans, you're opening up yourself to risk. And why do that when it's an unnecessary risk, I guess would be my big takeaway. Um, Now, we did also learn a couple of withdrawals from Roland Garros. They'll be filled by lucky losers. Belinda Bencic out. Milos Raonic, Fernando Verdasco, and Kyle Edmund all out as well. No reasons given for those players withdrawing thus far, but one has to wonder if concern over the circumstances of this event plays a factor. We saw Belinda Bencic uncomfortable to travel to New York. I'm not trying to speculate for her. I'm just simply saying it would 100% be justified if uncertainty surrounding this event, whether you you can't stay at private housing. You have to stay at the hotel, but the hotel's not really a bubble. Again, these are all things I explored with Steve Weisman on the Great Shot podcast, so if you want to hear about them more in depth, go check that episode out. But 
you know, again, this was always a concern, uh, given just how differing the safety and health protocols are for the French Open compared to the U.S. Open. It feels like there was always going to be some confusion. Uh, we also saw some confusion in the safety and health protocols put in place in Hamburg. Benoit Paire saying he tested positive twice for COVID-19 in Germany, yet was allowed to play, quote, the rule is different here in Germany, and I say thank you to the doctor and to the tournament. They let me play. The only negative is yesterday, but two in a row, I was positive. The rule here is different, so the ATP has to explain to me what the rule is. In Paris, some are negative, but because the coach is positive, they can't play. Here in Germany, you are positive and can play. Paris said that he has been locked in his room and only allowed to leave for one hour practice in his match. He also says that a doctor in France told him he has a 50% chance of a positive test in Paris because he has virus residue in his body. No, this does not make sense. That comes from at Tumani Cariel, and as always, I agree with Tumani. Are we serious here? This is what we're doing? We're having players test positive, and then they're testing negative a day later, but we're, the results are inconclusive, and we're just saying, ah, We'll let him play. Why not? Like, to me, what what are we doing there? That's just, that's really stupid. That's how trouble starts. That's when you open yourself up for serious problems for a tournament-wide spread. And it's just, again, players are always going to be frustrated. There will always be some pushback because there is uncertainty right now in the science. It's just, it's inconclusive. I mean, we know things such as wear your mask on site. Don't hold big indoor events, right? There are some conclusive uh, facts, but you know, in terms of when will uh, the, in terms of the the I don't want to say the legitimacy of the testing because predominantly the testing works, but there are false positives, and you know we should be testing, we should be tracing. But if we're testing and tracing for the purpose of rooting out the disease and we find it, why are we saying, oh, this person tested positive for COVID nineteen? Let's let them back in because at least we know they're positive. It just it's oxymoronical, it's counterproductive, antithetical. You throw the adjective out there, you can state them all, and they all apply to the situation. You know, the tournament released a statement saying that's not what happened. Of course, he did. He had tested positive in the course of retesting. We now found him negative, and thus we were comfortable having him play. I don't know, man. If I was Kasparud, I'd be like, really? He still tested positive and you let him play me? You understand I just made the semifinals in Rome. You understand that I could make my first second week at a Grand Slam, or at the Grand Slam I think I'm going to do best at in my career this year, and you're risking that for Benoit Paire, who's putting together these porous efforts anyways? It's like, why even risk it at that point? But nevertheless, uh, this is always going to be part of the struggle. And as tennis fans, I know I speak for all of us, we're just happy to have tennis back. But, you know, this is the sort of confusion that can cause tennis to stop, right? Because it's one thing if it's one player. It's another thing if it's 10, 20, 30 players testing positive. Uh, then you have a seriously compromised draw. And then you have to wonder, can they continue with the event? You can find four lucky losers. You can't find 30 lucky losers. And if you do, I mean, thir- the 30th lucky loser, is it me? Am I playing that round of 28 match at that point? because they're like you who tested negative in the stands you want to play we need 128th man and I'd say yes but I don't think any of you want to see that and so again it's just something to keep in mind but just wanted to bring that up because of course that will be a massive storyline as we head into this French Open but there are plenty of other elements a lot of them very tennis related who are the top contenders who are the top dark horses what do the draws look like what can we expect in Paris rest assured we here at Crack Rack it's going to do our best to ensure you have all the information possible 
possible so that you can not only, you know, have some fun watching this event, but maybe benefit off of it, whether it's with our friends at DraftKings, whether it's in our Tourneytopia pool where we all fill out the draws, the brackets, the player, the person who wins, getting some free CR merch, whatever it may be, you can find all of our French Open preview content by going to our website, CrackedRackets.com. Like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, The Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, and Inside Out Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. And remember, if you need those more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in day out making all of this content possible shout out as well to our sponsors midwest sports and aerobar go to midwestsports.com use the promo code cr15 go to aerobar.com use that promo code cracked 15 but with all that being said for our wonderful super producers max fligner and daniel westoff our friends at midwest sports and aerobar and all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we'll talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone Thank you.